Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Tim Staples of Catholic Answers. I'm excited to let you know that I also teach high school apologetics for homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. There are also recorded independent learning courses at homeschoolconnections.com. Whether you take apologetics with me, literature with Joseph Pierce, or philosophy with Bill Donahue, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, it's a great way to get Catholic learning for your family. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. Welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirita with Mary Lou Nemechek, and we are going to uh, address a um, document written by Archbishop Carlson of the the Diocese of Kansas, of St. Louis. I'm sorry, not Kansas City, but St. Louis. I think I think actually that I um, I read that he retired, and that is the Pope accepted his um, retirement, and there's a new guy now. But this was written. That must have been fairly recent then. Yes, it was in 2021. This was written in 2020, June of 2020. And for you all, if you want to look it up, you can go to the Archdiocese of St. Louis website and just type in compassion and challenge. And it's basically a pastoral letter written by Archbishop Carlson uh, on the whole topic of gender dysphoria. Now, gender dysphoria is the psychological ailment. It's basically, it's what is in the medical dictionary is under, I'm a, I'm a woman, but I want to be a man. I'm a man, but I want to be a woman uh, and everything, all those other feelings. It's really the psychological definition is gender, gender dysphoria. Dysphoria uh, is also for, for, for instance, anorexia, is a form of dysphoria where you hear those, those, those tales of people looking at themselves in the mirror and they are perfectly normal, but they see themselves as fat. You know, it's like a dysphoria. It's a misperception. It's a, it's a corruption in the perception that you have of the world. Right. And, uh, and so gender dysphoria would be a form of where you are a biological male or female, but your feelings or your desires Um, cause you to identify with the opposite sex. I thought this, you know, obviously, why are we talking about this, Mary Lou? Because this has been in the, all over the place, right? It's it's all over the place right now. Who knew there were so many transgender people? Uh, It's like the, you know, I don't know if it's because they felt like they couldn't come out, but I mean, we've had so many um, instances lately. Um, It seems like every other person really is gender dysphoric. So we just kind of need to, I, I just love his treatment of this, of his compassionate, merciful, and yet very rational treatment of this article. So I thought that, you know, and the Pope has himself has been speaking about gender ideology as a harmful philosophy. Uh, so we could probably address in a couple of shows uh, this very, very articulate and very short statement by Archbishop Carlson entitled Compassion and Challenge. 
And um, the, the first thing we're called to do is not to offer criticism, but compassion. I think there's a way in which we can just start rolling our eyes, right? And say, right. oh my gosh, one other person who thinks they're this or that, you know, just kind of dismiss it, you know? But really imagine the um, the agony that a lot of these people go through. I don't think it's a light decision to wrestle with our identity, to wonder about the meaning of our maleness and femaleness is a common human experience. I mean, just go through adolescence, right? In addition, those who are questioning their identity and those who consider themselves as having a gender identity at odds with their biological sex are at risk for a whole series of poor health outcomes. They experience higher rates of anxiety, depression, and substance abuse, and have a much higher rate of suicide attempts than the general population. And so, therefore, they are uniquely vulnerable. vulnerable. Well, you would imagine that if you truly kind of question whether your identity matches up with your biological sex, I would imagine that would be sort of a nuclear bomb, right? Exactly. In exactly. Your and, and you're isolated in how you can, can figure this all out many times because you're not going to be sharing it with lots of people, I'm sure, in the beginning. Well, so. you know, nowadays, I think it depends on your environment. Uh, I keep thinking about that poor little girl who's the daughter of uh, Brad Pitt and um, Angelina Jolie. And she's a, she's a biological daughter of the two actors. And she's a beautiful little girl. I think her name is Shiloh. And she's she's maybe 13, 14, something like that. And and Shiloh is basically the noises they're making, the parents are making, uh, are that they are going to allow her to take puberty-blocking drugs because she, uh, quote, unquote, identifies as a boy, not as a girl. We used to call them tomboys years ago. <laughs> that just kills me. It just, I feel so bad for this little girl because, you know, nine times out of ten, that's a phase that a lot of kids, I, I know, exactly. I know one kid very close to my family who refused to wear dresses, only wanted to wear, wanted to be a dress as a boy, blah, 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 you know, until she was 13, 14. But then she changed and now she's a very feminine young lady, uh, you know, it would, no, no questions asked. I mean, you know, no damage, everything fine. And so that's perhaps a, a, a regular, maybe a normal phase for some people. So I don't know. I've been praying for poor little Shiloh. Uh, who I read about in the magazines when I go to the hairdresser. <laughs> I don't know much about her. I don't know what I see in these magazines. It may or may not be accurate, but seeing the, the context and the milieu in which she lives. So that's that was a long way of saying that. You said people might hesitate to share, but it sounds to me like she was encouraged to share. Yes. But sounds, you know, yeah. look at the, the environment which yeah. probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah. You know, the family has gone through a divorce. Yeah. You know, many families in society today are disconnected uh, in many ways. And you just wonder whether, you know, as you go through puberty, and that's always a challenging time, mm -hmm. that they're seeking some sort of, 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 um, of safety net or someplace where they feel safe, where their identity is theirs alone because they can't find an identity within their family. I mean, there could be all sorts of, of reasons why something is triggered in these kids that they start searching and, and feeling. It's all feeling. Um, and your feelings change all the time. Exactly, and that's, that's address. He addresses feelings and desires and reality. 
and how basically, for the most part, our culture is asking us to validate feelings and desires as biological realities and that we need to change our biological reality based on feelings and desires. You know, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it, right? Here's a, here's an example that comes to mind. I remember in the 80s, the big hair, the shoulder pads, we all thought we looked great, mm-hmm. right? You look back on that and you're like, why in the world did I dress like that? Why did I do that? I mean, that's the way life is. You know, you 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 go through these these different transitions in fashion, let's just say, but they're temporary. You know that. Mm-hmm. What these children, and I say children, are are thinking about are things that are going to be permanent, and that's what's mm-hmm. so scary. Yeah, and I think we need to underline the fact that this is, we don't think that this is a fashion. We think that this is a, a true disorder called gender dysphoria for the more serious, the ones who are more serious in their, in their, um, in their problems with identity and their biological sex. And it might, there might also be an, um, a component of fashion or a component of cultural trend. But, um, you know, the people who go as far as uh, go undergoing a sex reassignment surgery are people who are not following a fashion. They're people who are have are truly have a disorder, have the gender dysphoria and perhaps other um, disorders compounding uh, their desire. So the first thing he says is to lean in with compassion. We need to make sure that violence against any of our brothers and sisters is unacceptable. He says, I want you to know God loves you if you are going through these things. And remember that this might, this is probably something for those who have not chosen it. So that would be a fashion for those who have not freely chosen it. It is a disorder. It is sort of an illness, right? But what hurt is Jesus came from, for our hurt. You know, I'm watching, I just finished that a wonderful, um, a series called The Chosen. Did you watch them, Mary Lou? No, I haven't watched it's it. It's a free app, and you can get it on your phone or your iPad, and it's totally free. And it's very, just the whole idea of Jesus coming for the sick, Jesus coming for the ones who, you know, experienced the gender dysphoria, the ones who experienced uh, extreme alienating events in their life, whether it's caused by leprosy or caused by rejection of the community or whatever, you know? Right. Uh, Jesus leans in in compassion with us. He does not lean away, right? But then he says, compassion is always the first thing to say, but it's not the only thing to say. He said, if compassion is the first and the last thing to say, it is not the only thing to say. Because basically in this section, his main takeaway is if we love someone, we tell them the truth. So that welcome and challenge are both expressions of love. And that's the root issue. Gender ideology maintains that sex can be separated from gender, but the Catholic understanding of the human person holds that sex and gender cannot be separated. Now, can you believe that we even have to say that? I, I, no, I never <laughs> thought we would be at this point, but it's... If we have to, we have to like uh, a state that, hey, if you look like a woman, you really are a woman. If you look like a man, you really are a man. And there are limits to how we should manipulate our bodies. But, you know, this whole Gnostic idea about how we're plastic and how we're just wax and clay that can be formed by ourselves. 
Um, look about the look at those extreme um, uh, mutilations that people have done to themselves. I, I think about that poor man who made himself look like a lion that went through all this plastic plastic surgery. Right. So he looked like a cat. Uh, he had whiskers implanted. He had his palate altered. He had his whole physical appearance altered surgically, so he could look like an animal. See, from my standpoint, I, I, you know, I don't think that should be, be allowed. I don't know how he got away that's with dysphoria. it, but that's dysphoria, and we live in a free country. And I know the guy was not diagnosed or misdiagnosed or whatever. Uh, but we have a lot of those instances where, you know, I myself have been at grocery stores where the checkout teller is pale as death, bone thin, has a ring through her nose, and has contacts in that make her look like a vampire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to say, poor little thing, I hope you think you look pretty. I, you know, I'm sure you're a pretty girl. But what on earth is causing you to want to alter your appearance to this point? So I guess, you know, it, we have to draw, we have to be careful because people can do whatever they want. You and I have all, do, I know I, at least I've done stupid things. Um, and, and who knows what, people, what causes people to do stuff like that? But it is, I think, part and parcel of the whole idea in our culture that somehow we are the arbiters, we are the gods, we can uh, alter our appearance, we can alter our body. So if we can alter our appearance, we can also alter our biological identity, right? Because there's no such thing as gender and sex, as gender being the same sex. Why? And that's the old Gnostic heresy that kind of, you know, raises its head. The, the Gnostic idea that somehow the true us is what's inside and what is outside in the body is just the wrapping, right? And that right, we, right. Could, we could probably become a man, we could become a woman, we, it doesn't matter. You know? But we have to go back to the but, origin. But in fact, that is the Where is the origin? God made us male and female, period. End. So, and that's, and we're made in the image and likeness of God. And if more people would grasp that, I think it would be helpful in these situations to work through some of these challenges that these people are facing. Well, the thing, the main thing to keep in mind is that we are incarnate spirits. And the Catholic faith says that we are both body and soul. That the spirit and the soul are not the only things that matter, which is what Gnosticism says, but also our physical reality is part of who we are. And that you cannot divorce the two things. So this, I think, is where we're running up against as a culture. This uh, whole idea, the Catholic idea of an incarnate faith, an incarnate love, an incarnate human being, and this Gnostic idea that somehow sex and gender can be separated. All right? Because there is, you know, that's what we've always said. There's a profound unity in the, in the human person. And here is a quotation from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith on the Human Person, paragraph one. In fact, it is from their sex that the human person receives the characteristics which on the biological, psychological, and spiritual levels make that person a man or a woman, and thereby largely condition his or her progress towards maturity and insertion into society. Based on the unity of the human person, the basic challenge on this matter, it, this is what the Catechism says. Right. Section 2333, every man, man and everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. Well, you, you would think that that's obvious, right? Right. But uh, that's the central issue. We need to reconcile ourselves to the physical facts 
of sexual identity and not trying to change the facts according to how we feel. And that's what we're doing. Uh, we're doing that on many levels, not just this gender dysphoria thing. We're trying to change reality, uh, basing, basing ourselves on emotion and on sentimental notions that are divorced from reality. Because let's face it, if you're born a man and you are a man and you wish you were a woman, that's wishful thinking. And for you to, to actually be legally assisted or by your insurance allows you to go through gender reassignment instead of being treated for gender dysphoria is, um, you know, it's kind of a, a, a piece of that shows of where we are as a, as a culture. Well, the other troubling thing is, is that society is allowing these young men and women, teenage years, let's just say, to decide and taking that away from the parents many times. They can't even clean their rooms at that age. How the heck can they make that kind of decision? I'm sorry. Poor little Shiloh Pitt and, and the others. It's like, come on, people. But there you have their parents making a political statement, right? That they want to stay relevant and all that stuff. Even though, And we, can, we must charitably assume that they don't know the facts. They just don't know. They don't understand, you know? And it says... Basically, let's face it, what is our mission as Christians is to make our gift of ourselves to others. Being a disciple is not easy. Being a disciple is not easy, right? And each of us has a cross to carry, and sometimes the cross will involve our feelings about our body, or it will, be, it will um, involve the feelings that we may have for somebody of the same sex, it's the same kind of cross. If we turn away from Jesus, our only recourse will be to the wisdom of the world. But, you know, we all know the wisdom <laughs> of the world yields no peace, right? We hold up a sign. Do not believe in the wisdom of the world. Right. Exactly. And this and there's a quotation from Amoris Laetitia that, written by Pope Francis. Human identity becomes the choice of the individual. One can also change over time. It needs to be emphasized that biological sex and social cultural role of sex cannot, can be distinguished, but not separated. In other words, we can acknowledge the problem, but we can't say, hey, just because you feel like a man today, doesn't mean that you are going, to, we're going to support you in becoming one when your biological reality is. Exactly. And the next section is on gender ideology, which is, I think, very interesting. What is the underlying philosophy of this transgender movement? Right? It seems to say three, three things. Feelings define our identity. So how I feel is how I am. Two, human integrity means acting on personal desires. I have to be me. That's the message of every other Disney movie lately. I gotta be me. I gotta be who I am. You know, there's a famous thing that people tell you, you be you. And that's usually meaning, you know, you handle this the way you see fit. But if you carry it to the extreme is I desire to do this and therefore I have to be true to my desire, which may change tomorrow. Right. right. And then three, anyone who does not affirm my feeling or action hates me. Now that's an irrational conclusion, isn't it? Right. And, 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 you know, what it fails to remember is that there are some absolute truths, you know, it's our, our life should not be based on feelings. It should be based on truths. And that is, is not in the picture here at all. Well, I, I keep thinking about Thomas's uh, uh, hierarchy of 
intellect, will, and emotions, or intellect, mm-hmm. will, and passions, however he calls it, feelings, desires. It, it is not a mistake that Thomas, one of the smartest people who ever drew breath, would categorize emotions or feelings at the bottom of the hierarchy. Our intellect perceives a fact, it, t- it communicates it to our will, will. and our yeah. will communicates it to our emotion that we need to live in accordance with the facts, with reality. And instead, what we're doing as a culture is we're flipping that paradigm and we're telling the the feelings are on top and they're telling the intellect what's real and what's not. And then it's to making the will kind of gut it out. I am a woman. I am a woman or I am a man or I am a man or I, you know, it's it's a very interesting um it would be nice if people had a better understanding of um, the whole idea of how we should live according to reality and facts and not according to sentimental definitions. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So before we close the show out, we're going to unpack a little bit of the first um aspect of this underlying philosophy feelings are, are a part of us but they do not define us because thank god right because right. Not, we would be defined uh, you know <laughs> it, it, it would not be pretty right we are beloved sons and daughters and that never changes and some days we may feel like a beloved son or daughter and some days we may not feelings are shifting sand in adults those sands of feelings shift more readily and more dramatically in children if we let our feelings define us we would not have a stable identity at all. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing, right? Yeah. We have our own versions of the struggle that St. Paul uh, outlined so beautifully in Romans 7. I do not do what I want, but I do what I hate. I'm willing. It, uh, the willing is ready at hand, but doing the good is not. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want. Meaning what? If I'm going to die, that's when I really want that piece of chocolate cake. If I want to, um, you know, discipline myself in a regular prayer life, that's when I discover 14 other things to do in the house other than pray, right? right. If I want to get, you know, practice something that I shouldn't be, or writing, in my case, I'm writing a few projects, and I will just, my house has never been so clean. as <laughs> one. I know what I should be doing. I should be sitting down and writing and doing my thing, but instead, oh, no, I have to polish the floors, and I have to do this, you know. It, it, we all know that, right? We chuckle because we all recognize ourselves. Exactly. We recognize it. And we, we know that there are days where we can overcome it. And there are days where we just fold in and we don't do it. Right. But we're not defined by it, by that seesaw of emotion and feeling. I guess that's a good uh, phrase and a good conclusion to close this show out. Thank you for joining us. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.